Here we go. Jake and Josh are here to analyze the game they love for the team they love. This is another Dolphins Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jake Mendel and Josh House. tuning in to another edition of another Dolphins podcast. Joshua Houts is out of the office today, but we have a week 14 recap to get to. So joining me today to discuss Miami Dolphins 28 to 27 loss to the Tennessee Titans founder of Finn Depth. You can find him on X at Dustin Godin 13. My friend Dustin, it's been a little while. I wish we had better circumstances to talk, but uh, nonetheless, it's good to see you again. You too, Jake. You too, Jake. Uh, yeah, uh, been a few weeks. Um, definitely not the uh, game, you know, that we wish it was, huh? <laughs> Something about the Tennessee Titans. I read a stat going into the fourth quarter of last night's game where the Miami Dolphins had not scored an offensive touchdown. It was the first time since 2021 that the Dolphins went three quarters without scoring a touchdown on offense. Can you guess who they played in that game? Well, uh, reading the tea leaves here, I'm going to say the Titans. <laughs> you nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. And it's so hard to not think back to that fateful day where you could just imagine the things that Brian Flores were saying to two on the sideline where the Dolphins got absolutely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, this game went totally different. It wasn't a scenario where the Dolphins came out of the gates and it was just ugly start to finish. Well, no, it was very ugly start to finish. Uh, but this game has us feeling very better for completely different reasons. That's absolutely right. Like, you know, just, just as an aside, like halfway through that game, I kept seeing Rabel, like after, you know, you know, up, up through the first half, I'd say I, every, after every like errant throw from Levis. Yeah. Will Levis, um, every errant throw or, or whatever, um, you'd see Rabel like shaking his head ever so slightly. I'm like, he's going to put Tannehill in and we're going to (laughs) lose. Would you, would you have felt better that way? Because I mean, it's so funny. You look at the, the, the attempts on this Titans team. I think Derek Henry has thrown two pass attempts this year and he has a touchdown. And then Ryan Tannehill's thrown about, he's right there with Will Levis in, in pass attempts, but Tannehill has only two touchdowns compared to Levis having like eight. So, I mean, would that have made you feel better if Tannehill came in? No, but what what I was thinking at the time was that while I know the, the the touchdowns and interception numbers for Tannehill this year were not good, the offense under Levis before this game, production-wise, yards-wise, all of that kind of fell off of a cliff when Tannehill wasn't the quarterback anymore. Um, so I was afraid that every time I saw Vrabel shaking his head in like annoyance that you know, at the half, they were going to put Tannehill in and Tannehill was going to have his revenge game. We still lost, so it didn't ultimately matter, but that was my fear at the half. <laughs> With 4.34 left in the primetime Monday night showing between the Miami Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans, the Dolphins led 27 to 13. The Titans were just throwing the ball away. There was a punt return where a guy, um, you know, when I'm playing baseball, uh, my dad was my coach, and he'd always say when you kind of tried to, like, run towards the ball and scoop it and you're not staying in front of it, it'd be like olaying the ball because you're just moving to the side and kind of saying olay. And, and that's kind of what the <laughs> kick returner did there as he fumbled away the football. The Dolphins scored on that drive. 
the following drive, it did not take too long for Will Levis. And it's crazy that a team can do this and win a football game. But Will Levis, he tried to toss it back to Derrick Henry. Next thing you know, that ball is just rolling towards the Titans end zone. Dolphins put up a quick 14 points. Four minutes left, man. The Dolphins decided to snap a streak that has been going for 767 games. And that is that the Titans became the first team to win despite being down 14 minutes with under three minutes left for the first time since 2016. What a brutal, brutal five-minute stretch, man. I mean, that's like a commercial break, and it was over. It was such a roller coaster. I mean, me and you, we, we tend to have this discourse whenever I'm on about, you know, the battered Dolphins fan trend, yeah. and, you know, we've experienced our fair share of that. But, uh, you know, this year has really tempered that in me because, ha- like, after those two fumbles for and we, the touchdowns we got, I looked over at my wife. I was like, all right, I can relax now. I'm good. Like, We're going to cover? What? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is great. And then everything else happened after, you know, the whole, we can't get Hopkins into coverage any way we try. Um, we, you know, on offense, our offensive line can't do anything to us, you know, scrambling around like crazy missing checkdowns. Like what is going on here? What a roller coaster the end was. The Titans went, 75 yards in just nine plays. It took them a minute 54 to get that first touchdown to cut it to a, at the time, an eight point game. And Mike Vrabel, a football guy through and through, he decided to go full. And I hate that the word analytics is used for any savvy decision that anyone, it's the analytics. That's what we're going to call it here. But Vrabel made probably the gutsiest call of the entire game because for two and a half quarters, three and a half quarters, you, you hit the nail on the head. He was rolling his eyes. This was a dude who was not happy with his offense. It was a unit that had him looking sick. All of a sudden, they score a touchdown, and, and this is a team that has the impression that we're facing one of the highest-rated offenses in the league, not an offense that has just scored, I don't know, two field goals so far today. So Vrabel makes the decision to go for two on that touchdown. And I mean, I forgot the receiver, but he was absolutely wide open. I think it was a pick play where Cater, Kohu, Xavier, and Howard were uh, both in coverage, basically wound up on the same guy. But, man, what was your thoughts to, for the Titans to go for that play, to be fearless after, you know, three quarters of, I don't know, this game looks like it's in quicksand? Yeah, I, t- to me, I, I think that's probably, I mean, this is easy to say considering they won, but, like, when you go for so long and you're so bad for so long, you have to start weighing, like, are we going to make it back down here? Like Mm -hmm. if we're going to have a shot here to win this game, we're going to need more points than we can get from two touchdowns and two field goals. So the question becomes, do we do it now or do we do it later? And, you know, that's just the philosophy of like, do I do it on the second time or do I do it on the first time? Um, Me personally, if you need it, if you know you need it in general, I'd rather get it the first time. Yep. And, and and there's the the idea too of um it, you could kind of throw together the simple chart of hey it's a 50-50 shot you miss it you got another 50-50 shot just to be right back where you were so i mean i i think mm-hmm. what frustrated me mostly though is the idea that he was wide open on that play i mean we spent all this year talking about how Vic Fangio this defense everything was coming together was this a scenario where you can kind of at least for Miami's defense chalk it up to uh 
they just didn't have any answers. I mean, it seemed like every single play, Bradley Chubb was half a second away from getting a sack. It seemed like every single mm-hmm. play, there was just enough time for Will Levis to find that open receiver. DeAndre Hopkins made some absolutely awesome plays, but we also saw some issues in the secondary where there's some communication breakdowns. Chigo Conkul had a couple big plays. The Titans were able to move the ball just by pitching it to the outside. You could see that once the Titans were going to do something that, I don't know, you once they were going to do what Ask Madden, I will say, wasn't expecting them to do. I don't know. We're going to do a pitch on third and five to get you a little off guard. The Dolphins had no answer for any of those things. Was it something that's going to be a concern moving forward? Or is this just kind of a, a one-stop trick where you had so many injuries, so many things at play where uh, you've got to give them a little leeway for once? So to me, it's kind of twofold. I'm not worried about it long term. Um, I think, you know, Holland, you know, from from all from – all, you know, reports is he can play. Like he needs to come back and play. Um, mm-hmm. I think that alleviates a lot of stuff. Number two, I put like rating the defense in that game is such a hard task because they started so incredibly strong, but yep. those last two drives are so painful. Just putting like literally everything they wanted to do, they could. Like we didn't stop them at all. On the on in, in that point, and it was just like, what happened, you guys? Like one Hopkins, I, I would have probably had. I know we don't do it much, but I probably would have had um, Ramsey start shadowing Hopkins just to get them out of their groove a little bit. Like, yes, you haven't practiced it, and you don't do it much on film, but that is a double-edged sword because they haven't seen you do it much on film, and it's going to throw them out of their element too. Um, so, I, I mean, th- I also, there's also, you know, we didn't get as much sack production as really, I think, most people expected in the game. I know there was a lot of close calls, um, but, you know, the Titans are like a bottom five team in sacks or, or like in getting sacked, and we got one. And that's a pretty big disappointment too, but it's tough because again, that first half and even a little bit into the the, uh, third quarter was like the defense was not the problem for that period of time. Um, Well, Will Levis is getting hit hard too. I was actually getting to the point where I was wondering when is he going to quit? When is he going to start to flinch? Because it seemed like every other play was Bradley Chubb or Andrew Van Ginkle landing on him. And it it just never seemed to come. And, the, the final 50-second stretch here, I don't know what really disappointed me more. I mean, you have a Dolphins offense that went Raheem Mostert three-yard run, Raheem Mostert one-yard run, Tua running like a sack of potatoes for three yards, and then a holding would have brought that back. Otherwise, I would have loved to have a conversation about maybe going for it on fourth and one and, and just letting the mm-hmm. offense finish it. But the offense couldn't do that. The offense looked so, so helpless. And then the Titans – Four plays, 64 yards in just 26 seconds. So considering the Dolphins wasted a whopping 25 seconds to go nine yards, the Titans go 64 plays in in 26 seconds. Which one of those two are more surprising, shocking, startling, disturbing, uh, sickening? I'm running out of adjectives here, but but which one of those really caught you off guard? Yeah, to to me, the one that caught me off guard was more the, the Dolphins offense not being able to look like a functional entity um yep i think we've seen you know throughout the season uh you know the defense has at times had issues where you know maybe there's spacing between you know 
players wasn't correct. We also have, you know, we're missing Baker. We're missing Holland. We were missing Elliott at that point. Like there's a lot of miscommunication probably happening on the defense, you know, at that point in the game. Um, but the offense, uh, like Austin Jackson looking like retro Austin Jackson after getting paid is like, that is something to monitor. Like he, he had finally started to earn some of my trust um, this year with a, a string of good performances, but then we pay him and then immediately goes back to maybe one of his worst performances in the last two years. Mm, that's a little bit concerning going forward. Um, hopefully it's just one bad game. Um, Eichenberg, you know, switching him from guard to center mid game, that's got to suck. I'm not an Eichenberg fan either, but I'm not that angry at him considering, um, but yeah, I mean, Julian Hill and, and Eichenberg really, I, I mean, uh, Julian Hill and uh, Austin Jackson, like that whole, and, and Lesser Cotton was pretty decent, I thought actually, but like that right side was fluid and Austin and, and Eichenberg being Eichenberg at center, getting pushed back, like it just was crumbling the pocket and we had no answers for it. And it was very upsetting to see. I think that's the one reason why I want to ask the question of, is this the same old Dolphins? The players are much better. Their coaching is much better. But just there was a certain level of helplessness, I felt, for this team mm-hmm. during this game. You're at, in prime time at home. And, I mean, I, I try to stay as positive as I possibly can all the time. And if this is to happen in Philadelphia in prime time and you have Liam Eikenberg coming, sure, I'll give you a buy on that. But, I mean, for this team to look like that deer in the headlight view of playing in Buffalo or playing in Philly, when you're at Hard Rock Stadium and you're begging, like, hey, fans, we're doing this for you. Come out. Like, we need your support, that type of stuff. We hear the announcers saying how how loud it is. I mean, I just could not believe the deer in the headlight looked at this offense. We can't get anything done to get 10 yards and just ice this game. We need just 10 yards and, and couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That last, that last drive that the, like you mentioned already, the, uh, the holding penalty and then, you know, the two, two has stepped up, you know, to, to evade the sack, the sack, but then got sacked anyway to really seal the deal on that drive. Uh, it, it was just painful all around. And it's really the, I don't even remember feeling that like disappointed in, in the Bills game this year. Um, like the Bills game, we got dominated from start to finish, but I never felt like hopeless, but like that last drive felt kind of hopeless. Um, going forward though, I don't, I don't feel like that will be my feelings going forward, like going into the next game. I don't think we're going to spiral against the Jets or anything like that. Um, but it was definitely like after the game, I kind of just sat there silent for a while. Down bad, man. (laughs) Down so bad. So so I wanted to ask, but I think you just answered it. You're not ready to say that this is the same old Dolphins. You're still feeling – I'll give them a bye for one game. I mean, this is a team – it's December 12th, and they've lost four games. I mean, we're walking on sunshine here, man. That's an awesome season. It's been a blast. But you're a little scared for what's coming. You're confident, though, that you're not ready to say same old Dolphins just yet? Well, I'll preface it with this. We have already won one game in December. (laughs) Perfect, perfect. I like it. Let's stop there for a quick second, take a quick commercial break. On the other side, I want to ask you, is the Dolphins offense broken? So stay tuned. When I go through this stat sheet from Miami's Sunday, excuse me, Monday night loss to the Tennessee Titans, there's one thing that sticks out to me 
beyond everything else. And when you consider injuries, that's a part of it. But I mean, looking at this Miami Dolphins offense and how they were distributing the football. We heard so much about how Tua is this ice-cold killer. He's this blackjack dealer, can get the ball to a lot of different guys. But it seems like, at least for this season, that they really lean into two guys and hope something else can happen aside from that. Tyree Kill was dealing with an ankle injury, and so most people expected he might not be out there dealing with or getting his usual 12 targets, 10 receptions. But you have Jalen Waddell leading the team with six receptions, 79 yards. You want more. You want more than that. Simply put, totally get that. We'll get to that in a second. But the most surprising thing in this entire box score, Dustin, Devon Achan, five receptions for 24 yards on nine targets. That is one of the most warped looking things. It looks like you got that tie-dye t-shirt from the Boys and Girls Clamp that's gone through the laundry 17 times, one arm's like super flexed out. What does this box score tell you about what this Dolphins offense was trying to do? Not much, honestly, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, like what points did our offense really put up is, is, a, good, is a question that I think is valid. But, um, you know, I think I've said it on here a few weeks back that from a schematic standpoint, we're putting a little bit too much in the effort in, in, in the Tyreek 2K effort. Um, I think it's affected our game planning. You know, if Tyreek were to go out, and I think we saw that. I think we still we we no, we didn't just like slot Waddle into the Tyreek role. We kept him in this like sort of clear out kind of role where you know he isn't always the number one read still. And and I mean, look at look no further than what happened when Tyreek went out. And guess who came alive? It wasn't it wasn't Waddle. It was Cedric. Yep. Like. And don't get me wrong, I was a fan of signing Cedric, but the dude sat on the bench for you know, a year and a half, like Waddle should be your focus at that point. Like the packages, like maybe the other thing is that Tennessee was doing double brackets on, you know, even when Tyreek was in, they were putting, they were basically trying to double Hill and Waddle and then, you know, doing a lot of stuff with that. But, um, you know, there's, there's just been a concern that there's too much emphasis on the connection between two and Tyreek and, they need to get back to a bit more of a distribution like progression um, instead of there's a little bit, there's a little bit too much gamesmanship in the route combos happening. Let's say like, when, when, like, if I was to go up to Miami's offense and I, I'm simplifying this way too much and was just to tell them, go run a football play. How long do you think it would take them? Just because when we want to even bring this into like the Tyreek MVP discussion, this offense relies so much on just him being out there. And there's just so much like thought put into how a defense reacts, even just from him motioning across the field, even if he's mm -hmm. not going to be targeted, even if Tua isn't even looking his way, the way he's just motioned across the field. So, I mean, I feel like this Dolphins offense, going back to last year, just the inability to kind of just go run a play. I mean, the, the offensive line was struggling. We spoke about how Liam Eikenberg was kind of getting pushed back a little bit. Why not try moving the – uh, pocket a little bit. I mean, we heard Mike Vrabel yep. at the end of the first 
first quarter saying we're going to force him to throw outside the numbers. He's done it a couple of times, but we like where we're at with that. I mean, there was no surprise mm-hmm. what they're trying to do. We saw some instances where they kind of were able to sneak Waddle out underneath and get him to push up field for 10 yards and snares like that. But I mean, it just felt like that the Dolphins were trying to find such a complex answer for what could have been a simple question. I, I don't want to make it sound easier than it is, but it did feel like that at times. No, absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you caught it, but there, when one of those sideline reporters, they spoke with, uh, with McDaniel and McDaniel, one of the things they said, he said is that he's trying to be more creative in the absence of Hill. Like I get it. You're like being creative is his thing, right? Like, if we had to give one identity to McDaniel's like playing is he attempts to be creative and sometimes that's great. And sometimes that's bad as we've seen on like the third and one, you know, situations, like all of that stems from him, you know, trying to out creative, the other defensive coach. Um, And I think you're right. I think in that moment, we just needed to get back to, you know, a situation, Hey, we're down. We can't rely on some of these creative things that we've been doing. We need to just be able to run some things that everybody can, you know, we got to start improvising. We got to start, you know, and and when you start improvising, it needs to be a little bit closer to that, you know, uh, backyard football than it is, you know, the greatest show on surf type stuff. Just go play ball. Just go out in the backyard and play ball. And again, I don't want to sound like a meathead, but I mean, this was such a frustrating loss and I sat here um, all day working and, uh, Dustin, I never really pinpointed our age difference here, but um, uh, any SpongeBob references in your? Do you can can you relate to SpongeBob any bit here? If I was to make a reference, not not really. <laughs> there, there, there's an episode where, simply enough, SpongeBob is trying to get Patrick to open a jar, open a jar, and Patrick is not the smartest character in the world. Where Patrick to open the jar, he's putting his hand all over this jar, and SpongeBob just re- keeps repeating. Patrick, put your hand on the lid, and he puts his hand on the side. Patrick, the lid, he puts his hand on the bottom. It's like McDaniel, run three yards. He has Tyree Kill go in motion three times around the jar. It just doesn't need to be this complicated, just where we can just say, let's just make a football play. Let's let it happen. Now, looking at Miami's final drive, I think that frustrated me. too. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, like, even even to kind of hammer that home, like, Tyreek's out. Waddle's now supposed to be your number one guy, right? Like, but now all of a sudden, you know, he's running wrong routes. He, or at least he's claiming responsibility for running wrong, wrong routes on 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 video by like doing the chest tap thing after, you know, the almost interception, that kind of stuff. Um, like some of that has to be from complexity. I completely agree. Like, like just run a slant. Like, and the issues where they're saying, "Oh, my bad." It seemed like. This wasn't true a few weeks ago, but last time it seemed like it was all when they had to make a play happen after the fact. And when they had to get down Mm -hmm. to their second and third read and follow those specific rules is when they got into different issues. Why not just get a play where it is? Waddle, it's your first read and you're just following the whole time. I mean, I I think that is kind of an issue we see with this offense where it just uh, sometimes you just got to keep it simple. I mean, but but the final drive and I'm just trying to figure out what this offense is looking for in answers, because if you're throwing, you know, let's say. Uh, 20 targets a game roughly at Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill. Where else are you trying to find production? And I mean, the final drive for the Miami Dolphins, it started with a seven-yard reception of Braxton Berrios, who every time he flexes, he looks like one giant muscle, which I think is absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, then it was Devon Achan 
on three of the next four plays, four yards, incomplete, and then one yard uh, for Devon Achan, despite being this guy who's averaging 12 yards a, a carry. There was a seven-yard completion to Smythe in there and then a, a taken sack. So, I mean, I'm just curious of why it's so hard to get someone like Braxton Barrios. Two targets, two receptions, 15 yards, nothing flashy, but it was easy. He knew what to do. River Craycraft is another one of those guys where I'm just wondering, like, like why – I'm not even trying to hate on said Wilson here because said Wilson, I think is better than everyone gives it credit for. Why does it need to be him making a sports center top 10 play to move the ball 20 yards down the field as your number three or fourth option when you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out there? Yeah, it's because it's, it's 100% because a lot of the super, like the way the scheme is designed needs, like what we needed to do is if we were going to continue to play that, Waddle needed to go into the Tyreek role where he needed to be the motion man all of a sudden. And we just didn't see that. We saw uh, Tyreek kind of stay in his, his, his same role that he currently is um, normally. And, and I think that was, you know, there's always, there's always the keystone to every scheme and, and, and having all of that motion is only possible because of Tyreek. And so if you lose Tyreek and you don't slot him with someone with at least the same physical stuff, defenses aren't going to fall for it. They're going to adjust. They're going to start doing things that, you know, mess with your head. And I think that's what we saw. This is, this is such a dumb thought that went through my head. Um, but when Tyreek got hurt, I said, give me the 2021 uh, game against the Carolina Panthers playbook. And I, I just go back to how simple and, and, and lame the Dolphins playbook was in 2021. But I mean, Tua was still completing 85% of his passes. They were forced to be the dink and dunks, but that's all they needed. So I, I'm curious, do you think if they were to use like the, the patented uh, Charlie Fry, George Godsey offense, you know, from a couple of years ago, that they might've even looked a little better last night, just for the sake of we can get Waddle more involved and, and get these guys moving. Yeah, I, I really, I, I think it just, it would have been better not necessarily like limiting it to that particular particular scheme. Cause like you said, it was a very like check down heavy scheme. Um, mm -hmm. I think we saw enough of that, honestly, like we saw Tyreek get hurt on the bubble screen. We like, what I wanted to see a bit more was more like traditional football fundamental routes. Like I wanted to see, you know, some more combos that are things that, you know, are just less, less complex, less convoluted. Spider two, why like, banana? Get some of that action in there. Some little rollouts. One hundred percent. Just so we could like hear it. Like I, I want to <laughs> hear Tua say Spider two, why banana? It's a win in itself. <laughs> but the last, yeah, like I was, yeah, like you got to start throwing some curls or something. Like the way their defense was, I think that might have helped. The last question I have here, and I mean, a after the way we're discussing it, I don't know how, how much faith you have in it. Can we kind of chalk any of this up to Mike Vrabel's one of the best coaches in the NFL? And, you know, the, the Belichick coaching tree has a lot of negativity, negativity stemming from it. But, I mean, Vrabel has been an absolute stud ever since he's arrived in Tennessee. I mean, this isn't the first time he's done this to the Dolphins and Tua. 
Can we chalk any of this up to just him having that absolute game plan, being that baller on Monday Night Football? Of course, I'm not trying to make an excuse and say, like, this is why we can accept a loss. But, I mean, can this make us feel a little worse than this offense than we should be? Absolutely, yeah. Like, long-term, I am not concerned about the offense. I think if even, – even if, like, I know Ty, Tyreek is, like, day-to-day right now is, I think, the official uh, – prognosis but even if we were to say hey we're going against the jets next week like that's a good defense but i think we would look better if we had all week to prepare without tyreek than if we prepare with tyreek and then he doesn't go do you know what i mean like if we know from the start that we're not going to have tyreek i think we would put together a better game plan than we saw against the titans no you hit the nail on the head and that's perfect let's wrap up here with some injury updates as mike mcdaniel met with the media on tuesday following the loss i think that's a it's a great point you make where if you're entering the week knowing that lee meikenberg's gonna play on play at center when you're going to philly or something like that i think that is such a big difference maker and i'm interested to see if mike mcdaniel knowing that tyreek is limited and uh this is probably the most he's the the most concerning injury he's had since he's gotten to miami would you say do you think that um, could be They've all been ankles, haven't they? <laughs> oh, God, man, you're right. You're right. I, I definitely don't want to turn this into a competition, but I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I kind of hope that maybe Mike McDaniel can learn from that and say, hey, maybe we should have a couple more. Just uh, let, let's get up there in line. The Tyreek motion is so important to what we do, but but understand, hey, we're not always going to have it. Yeah, and, and not even just Tyreek, like, McDaniel, I understand he's probably, you know, keeping guys back a little bit right now because he sees the playoffs on the horizon. He doesn't want, you know, to aggravate something right before the playoffs. But on the other hand, like we, you know, if these guys can play, I think we need to play them. Um, Like I'm speaking specifically here about Holland, like Holland needs to play next week. Uh, But yeah, for, for Tyreek, you know, if he's, if his ankle, like that ankle's been hurt a couple times now, it might be worth sitting him a game. Um, and, and, you know, putting together a less finesse game plan would be the best way to put it and, and kind of get back to some more fundamental type stuff and just executing. Um, we'll see. I mean, I'd even be cool with if they entered the week knowing, Tyreek, you're playing 40% of the plays, and we're going to enter the week and kind of build the playbook around that, where if you can't be 100%. I mean, I don't want to sound too dramatic. I mean, Tyreek means so much that he is such a huge part of the salary cap. He's paid as a top five, not only wide receiver, but as a top five player in the NFL. And I mean, that's not, I'm not trying to knock anyone else on the team, but you pay someone that much, you're going to get as much value as you can out of them. That's why McDaniel, every yeah. time he has to, he's saying, where's Tyreek? Where's Tyreek? Because, hey, man, you're making all this money, dude. We need you out there. Even if you're not going to be the guy involved in the play, your motion, just seeing you out there has such an impact. And McDaniel has done so much to squeeze the most out of that. So it'll be interesting to see how McDaniel kind of approaches that mindset moving forward. When you have a game against a team like the Jets, Great pass defense, but you know what you can do if you just limit the mistakes you make and overcome situations like that. But, dude, what was it like watching this first quarter? What was it? Second play, Jalen Waddles injured on a 16-yard reception. 
Fourth play, Raheem Mostert limps off on a four-yard reception. Sixth play, and this is absolutely awful. Connor Williams was injured on the Durham Smythe nine-yard reception. Mike McDaniel came out today and said it's a torn ACL and he's done for the year. So, I mean, God, man, this, this, this game was brutal from the absolute start. There was no joy to be found anyway. And, and before the waddle, too, we had uh, X go out for a little bit as well. I'm like the first play of the game. It was, oh, my God. Yeah. It was, in, it was like there was like I was I, I was in New Orleans for this game. So um, I was like, is this, you know, voodoo? Like, oh, my God, what's going on here? <laughs> it was it was scary, man. I was like, are we going to lose our whole team here? <laughs> And it, it just continued to get worse. We've been kind of talking about it through us, throughout Tyreek Hill. He suffered an injury on a six-yard loss. It was a horse collar tackle that was not called. Oh. People have been using the term hip drop, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts about that because horse collar tackles, they're already a 15-yard penalty. We know what they can do to someone's body. But I think there's a line somewhere, and, and calling a tackle a hip drop when it's really like, oh, God, I, I'm not strong enough to bring this person down. I'm going to use my entire body weight to drag them down. Uh, what are your mm. thoughts on that? Do you think that's something that should be – I mean, we've seen people get injured by it, and I understand that it can cause injuries, but I, I think there's a line somewhere where, man, it's just really tough to kind of prevent injuries in football. So, I mean – I think both are true. I think it was a hip drop and a horse tackle, a horse collar. Yeah, for uh, sure. For sure. It was both. You can hip drop by wrapping up around his waist. Like, uh, that's a good point. So the fact that they didn't call the penalty was disappointing. And then the other penalty where to me, when Xavier was in coverage and he was like jumping to get the ball and then Hopkins basically like threw him to the ground as he was jumping in front of him. That should have been a penalty to it. Um, I, in almost every, uh, you know, game, try to say not put the refs decide of the game, and I don't feel they did in this game. I think we didn't play well enough to to win this game. Oh, yeah. But it, it was disappointing to see, um, especially on on a, a play where you know you have the refs have the time to see the player get hurt. That the player getting hurt slows down the next play, gives them time to see the, the replay. And like, what happened to this? There's the booth rep. Like, what's that guy doing? What's like, is he sleeping nachos. out there? Like, nachos. So <laughs> many nachos. 100%, 100% nachos. He He's the guy. He's the South Park meme. <laughs> it, it, it's that ref and the, the independent doctor who's supposed to be spec- or catching concussions. They're just setting records yeah. for eating nachos and hot dogs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to spend too much time uh, on the rest. Cause I completely agree. The dolphins played one of the worst games I've seen in some time. This looked like Joe Philbin type dolphins football, uh, but, but defensive uh, delay a game. Are you kidding me? Where, where Zach Sealer shuffled to the side and they called a penalty on that. Like, I, like oh, really? that, I forgot about what, what, what did they say? He, he, he shuffled too, um, too quickly. I want to say aggressively. <laughs> But I know it's not yeah, aggressively. Uh, but it's so silly. I was even for yeah. the longest time back in my day. You could go off sides on defense, and as long as you got back before the ball was snapped, it wasn't a penalty. There was none of this like offensive lineman would like flinch and say, "Oh no, you forced me to jump." Back in my day, it was as long as you got back on time. So, so to see yeah. something like that is absolutely uh, horrific because the job of the defense is to have that opportunity to kind of 
spook the opposing D, uh, opposing offense. The one other thing about the refs that really bothered me, and it just kind of showed like there was no control over the game. The Devon Achan reception for what was it? The three yard reception at the end of the game there, where he was dancing along the sideline instead of just getting the first down. The one rep, the first, he was tackled in bounds. I could see it from my couch that he was tackled in mm-hmm. bounds. But the first rep, he comes in waving his arms, timeout, timeout. He got out of bounds to pause the game. The second that happens, you shouldn't be able to change it. I don't care if it's yeah. right or if it's wrong. I don't think you should be able to change it because with less than a minute left, that guy's waving his arms. Mike Rabel's losing his absolute mind, which is funny as all hell because he's right. He was in bounds. But to, for the fact you can allow a second ref, three, four seconds, doesn't seem like a lot longer later, but to give him that much time to come in and just keep winding the clock when you have these offensive players understanding, like, cool, we got out of bounds. We have a second. That's not right. That should not be allowed. Mm-hmm. That first call needs to stand in a situation like that. It's not a game-defining play unless it happens in a situation where you pause it then some guy comes in and then you have four offensive players who didn't see that call happen. And then the game's over. Right. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And um, just on that note, we also did get away with uh, Cedric stepping, not, you know, we got a catch, oh, yeah. a yeah. real catch from Cedric that we got away with that one. Uh, that was not a catch. <laughs> that was very close. No, but you're right. That, that was, that was smart of them to get up to the line. Um, uh, to kind of circle back here to the injuries, Tyree killed day to day. Hopefully he's back. I mean, he just means so much for this team and he opens up so much. So that is something to keep an eye on. Raheem Mostert finished the game with two touchdowns. Deshaun Elliott dealt with a rib injury and a concussion. Um, he is currently, as of this recording on Tuesday, still in concussion protocol. Uh, Javon mm-hmm. Holland, he w- went on the radio Tuesday morning and said that he sprained both MCLs in that game against the Jets. Those safeties are going to be the two guys, I think, that are worth watching the most when you consider how discombobulated that secondary was late in the game on Monday Night Football. Um, hopefully to have them both back. Concussion protocol is really tough. Hopefully, Elliott's getting healthy, but I'd expect him to miss a week just based on how uh, concussion protocol has gone for most players this year. So let, let me ask you a question. Are you ready to jump on the uh, the conspiracy theory that Brandon Jones is a Bills mole and he's taking out Dolphins players? God, I feel so <laughs> bad because... Because I've always tried to, like, I, I've been always a, a Brandon Jones supporter. And Vic Fangio had an interesting quote. He was asked about guys stepping up at all three levels, specifically Brandon Jones at safety, um, and, uh, Duke Riley coming in at linebacker for Joan Baker, and then Emmanuel Agba stepping in at defensive end. And Vic Fangio isn't someone who will praise people. He'll honestly say that someone does a good job, but I don't think he really has been someone to go out of his way to say, like, hey, like, this is, this is what's happening. Like, I'm going to set the story straight. He made a point to point out Brandon Jones about, hey, Duke Riley, he's stepping in. He's done great. But we expected him to do that. He's been with us all year. That's why he's a backup, because we know he can come in and do this. The same thing was true for Agba. But Brandon Jones, he made the point to say this is someone who's been recovering from a brutal injury who was not involved in training camp. And his training camp's still happening as he's learning in these games. So for as how disappointing and how frustrating it is to see someone like Brandon Jones hurt Jerome Baker, to see how this stuff happens again with Brandon Jones, I just feel bad for him because I feel like the game's still going a little too fast. He's recovering from an injury. He's not used to being out there just yet where I think it's just full steam ahead. I got to be like the Jeremiah Bells, the Brandon Jones, and just start with my head and hope I tackle someone. 
Yeah, it, it's it it's one hundred percent a couple of things. One, you're absolutely right. He's playing a bit wild at the moment, um, a bit a bit on the instinctual side as opposed to um, schematically instinctual. Uh, yeah. But then there's also the fact just that Brandon Jones as a fit for the scheme is a little bit of uh, it can work, but it's not it's not an ideal fit. Um, right for him. And so he's not only learning um, on the job because of the training camp thing, he's also learning a scheme that isn't the best for him. And so he's kind of, I think, relying on a bit of just aggressive instinctual stuff going on. And it's kind of like the offensive line where it's, you know, especially this year, you see uh, Liam Eikenberg stepping at left guard. You see a Kendall Lamb, a, a Keon Smith play left tackle. And you're like, yeah, things actually don't look too bad. But it's once the injuries start to build up a little bit and you have backups having to work with other backups and, and answer their own questions, I think that's when issues start to arise. I mean, if it's Brandon Jones back there with like Javon Holland, Xavier Howard, Jalen Ramsey, and Cater Kohu, I think they can get away with a lot more. But once you have that second backup in there too, Elijah Campbell, um, it, it's just so much easier to get kind of picked on about the stuff that you're just not necessarily ready for. One final thing, let, let, let's just kind of embrace the offensive line as a whole. I mentioned that Connor Williams will be out. Robert Hunt is considered week to week. Teron Armstead is considered day to day. So, Dustin, how are you feeling about this offensive line? And what does it say that you know that Teron Armstead is healthier than Robert Hunt? Um, Specifically, honestly, right guard has not been much of an issue and like Robert Hunt getting hurt this year did more to what Robert Hunt's going to get paid or not get paid next year I think than anything else like surprisingly Eichenberg has been has been playing pretty well at, at right guard um Lester Cotton I felt I thought you know stepped in yesterday and played pretty decently as well um as far as like the injuries go, we need, you know, here's the question. Are we getting Teron Armstead back or are we getting Teron Armstead from the last two weeks back? Because they're different players. Um, he, the past two or three games that he was in, he does not look like himself really. Um, and so the question for me would be that is like, yeah, he might be day to day, but is that day to day to get back to, what he looked like two to three weeks ago, or is that day-to-day to get back to like what he looked like at the beginning of the season? And with that too, uh, so just to kind of clarify, to say if he was to be day-to-day to be what he was two weeks ago, would you put Keon Smith or Kendall Lamb ahead of him in that race? If he's day-to-day to be that guy we saw like, like against the Jets? So I thought Lamb, at least you know in pass blocking yesterday, played pretty good. Um, kind of meh in run blocking, but you know, whatever, uh, sometimes that happens. Um, the, the arms that I saw two weeks ago, three weeks ago, looked slow and was having a hard time getting to his, you know, setting the edge. And, and even like we set him to go to the second level a few times and I'm just like, he is jogging out there. Like, I don't think we can, I don't think we can put him out there like that 
you know, I would rather let him get more healthy for the playoffs. That, and, and, you know, I want real Armstead out there. I completely, uh, you mentioned with Holland that you're at the point where you, when do you push the panic button with this offensive line? Because I do think there's such a balancing act to be had here where if you put in Armstead and Robert Hunt, breaking news, the offensive line gets better. But you mentioned it, if Armstead can stay out a little longer and get much healthier, I think you can kind of walk a line of having a couple backups. And it's once you have four backups in is when you really start to panic here. So as you enter this final stretch of the season, where where do you feel your back would finally be against up, up against the wall with these linemen? So right now, obvious big concern is we're not going to get uh, uh, Connor Williams back. Like that's going to suck. That's going to be a huge issue. And I'm not convinced that Eichenberg will be at center what we want. I think depth wise, we probably still should have had, like, I think he found a home at right guard. Um, mm-hmm. at, or backup right guard, I should say. Uh, center is a huge concern for me going forward. To me, it almost doesn't, like this is going to sound weird, but it almost doesn't matter what the edges are doing because the center is messed up at the moment. Um, Like so like this year, the Dolphins offensive line has been getting a lot of praise, but as we mentioned earlier in the season, a lot of that is due to, you know, how fast things are and and the ability to navigate the pocket and things like that. Well, when your center is not uh, creating that space for the pocket, it's going to be harder. Those out, those edge guys are going to look worse. Their, their, their sack numbers are going to go up. Their pressure numbers are going to go up. And I think we're going to see that. I think we saw it a bit with Jackson's numbers last night. He, I mean, Jackson was also getting bullied all night long, but uh, like he was on ice skates a lot, a lot. Um, I hope that doesn't continue, but even if it doesn't continue, if the center is getting pushed back, Jackson's just going to lose more. He's going to give more pressures no matter what. That's why so I that's, still that, that's I, kind of, I couldn't believe they wouldn't move the pocket just to kind of give two a little more time. I mean that 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 to me it just I it, it makes total they move sense. the pocket all the time too, which is insane. Like like watching watching breakdowns from like Drew Brees and watching breakdowns from like JP O'Sullivan. Like all the time I'm seeing. And, and even on the all 22 stuff that I've watched, like you see um, like Tua does a ton of unique dropbacks where he's maybe at like 20 degree angles or, you know, he's moving that point of attack. And we didn't see that a lot last night. And I think part of it was because of how, you know, ice skatey our offensive line looked, but, you know, we should have probably tried. Dustin, it's always a blast talking with you. It's been way too long. I'm glad to have you back on here. We are going to be doing it more often, but before I let you go here, I'd love to just kind of get some overarching thoughts about how you feel about this team, what you're feeling for Sunday, and if this is going to be a scenario where this team loses the rest of the season and we miss the playoffs. So I do not feel we will uh, spiral. I think that... I think... You know, we have three very tough games. 
really four, if you, I guess, you know, the Jets defense is very tough. You can't discount them. And, you know, Zach, uh, he, he did look really good last week as far as statistically. I, I, I think the tape shows a little bit of a different story uh, mm-hmm. on, on um, that. But Baltimore, Dallas, Bills. That is a ringer. Um, and it's, it, yeah, we're going to have, I don't think winning out is something we should expect, but I also don't think losing out is as well. I think, you know, I'm kind of, kind of going for, you know, let's go two and two. And as okay. much as I want the number one seed, because what that would do is that playoff game, that first, uh, playoff week, I've got a, uh, a bachelor party weekend to go to and if we have the bye week i would not miss any football so i would really really love to have that first seed and win out but i just don't think with where we're currently at i think we're going to have a little bit of a reset again like we had the reset five weeks ago where you know the offense was starting to trail off and then we kind of reset and kick back in the gear i think i think we can maybe expect a pretty close game against the Jets. And then, you know, we, w- I think we win it still, but I think it'll be close. Um, Cause it always is division games. And then uh, we probably come away with a surprise big win in one of those, at least one of those big games. That would be my guess. Dallas. Dallas is the one where I, I don't want to just say stuff to kind of throw it out there to get made fun of in, in three weeks, but Dallas, Dallas is the one where I think Miami could match up well and really just ignite and uh, come away with a victory. Dustin at Dustin Godin 13. I know this was not an easy game to talk about, but I appreciate you joining me. I, I appreciate you taking the time to digest one of the more brutal losses we've seen from the Miami Dolphins lately. That is it. That is all the time we have for another Dolphins podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to us. We will be back soon, but until then, it's been time.